Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by the lovely Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> and today we're talking about parental anxiety. Oh, which, yeah, no idea oh what that's gosh. about, right? right? Oh my gosh. I feel like so many of you could probably relate, specifically around achievement anxiety is our guest today. And like, how anxious we get over our kids making sure they have the best education, quote unquote, or like the best extracurricular activities or doing their best work. And all of this stuff just drives us crazy. And it drives our kids crazy too, right, Brie? Oh, 100%. That anxiety just ekes over into a lot of things. Bleeds in. We'll say bleeds in. Please. So our guest today is Dr. Dana Dorfman. She's a psychotherapist and the author of When Worry Works, How to Harness Your Parenting Stress and Guide Your Teen to Success. She helps treat children, adolescents, and adults in therapy. She also helps parents recognize their own innate achievement anxiety in order to sharpen their self-awareness and forge better relationships with their teens. And the cool thing about this interview is Dr. Dana has these archetypes for parental anxieties. So listen to the episode, see if you're doing these things. And she also gives great suggestions on how to, well, not fix it per se, but how to lessen it. So we hope you enjoy this episode and let's get on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dana. We are so excited to talk to you about all these things, parental anxiety, because, oh my gosh, Brie and I are like poster children for that. And we know a lot of other moms too who are. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, even just yesterday, I was anxious about something and Miguel's like, okay, that's a lot of anxious energy. What do you say we put on some music and dance? (laughs) (laughs) Something to get it out. That's a little crazy, everything you just unloaded. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. It is crazy. It's crazy how much our own anxieties as parents really filter in to our parenting. But a lot of the times we're not aware of it. And this is what I love in your book so much. Can you tell us what you were seeing in the parents and the children in your practice that led you to down this path about talking about parental anxiety? Well, thank you for having me. And I would say that in my, in my practice, this was sort of a multi-pronged motivation that I was seeing a lot of achievement anxiety in the teenagers that I was seeing. And I was seeing a lot of parents who were very inadvertently kind of, and very well with the best of intentions were actually kind of inadvertently perpetuating their kids' anxieties, particularly around achievement. And as the years have gone on, I, I was seeing this problem kind of worsening. And I was seeing, as we all have seen, kind of the byproducts of it partially resulting in the mental health epidemic that we're, that we're all seeing. 
in our teenagers. And also I am the mom of two teenagers. So I have been navigating achievement stresses and anxieties for many years also. And I also have my own history, which we all do with our experiences as teenagers or even as kids growing up and what our relationship is with achievement. And I have my own complicated relationship with achievement as well. So it was kind of the combination of these three factors that I really wanted to dig into and lean into this topic. Yeah, it's so interesting, this idea of a complicated relationship with achievement, because we're raised to be like, yes, you need to get all A's and you need to make sure you do your quote unquote best work. And something I'm seeing coming out now is that, no, like this is really, really harmful to keep telling our kids. I think it's kind of a lie about achievement that you always have to be pushing, 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 pushing to do the best you can. Is that what you've seen kind of too? It's absolutely what I've seen. And it's also, and I am a proponent of achievement. I don't want the message to be in any way like slack off and don't do anything. And so I do want kids to be encouraged to work hard and do well. I also think though that this has become sort of a socially acceptable avenue or channel for our anxieties because there are all of these quantifiable metrics like grades and scores and Mm -hmm numbers to indicate to us in some way, or sometimes the messaging can be, this is how my child is doing fundamentally, or this is my child's worth in the world, although we wouldn't necessarily think of it that way. But I think that the implicit messaging is, this is how well this child is doing. Mm -hmm. And there are so many other dimensions, A, that go into achievement and also that go into a human being that I think were being overlooked because of their ambiguity or even our difficulty in kind of measuring it. I think you've really stuck on a really great point there because I was a former teacher and state testing and scores and everything were what we were measured against. They were the only thing that we were measured against. It wasn't a whole child perspective. It was, okay, well, did you bring this class up from this average to this average? Okay, you're doing your job. When really like those scores are just such a like little snapshot of what kids are. Something that I love that you talked about in your book is talking about what real success is attributed to in life and society. And it wasn't the achievement scores, but rather you said it was emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is what the the research bears, my research and also all of the research that I had done for the book is that We know that actually where people lead the most or from what people live the most fulfilling lives is oftentimes based on emotional intelligence, relationships, and emotional awareness to some degree. And I think that this has been something, and I know you've talked about it a lot on previous podcasts as well, or previous episodes, that this is something that is so easy to overlook, kind of emotional wellness, mental wellness. Yeah. And I think like it's good to note too that this mental wellness, this is what's taught in social emotional learning, which I know is getting a lot of pushback in the main mainstream society right here, not really understanding what it is. I don't know if I would say getting pushback is just being completely pushed out. 
push at, well yeah right? not like push back so yeah no, like trying no, to I say think, it kind of nicely yeah, and I don't think is. I need to say it nicely right well I mean if you just think about it because every area of the country is different we're well aware of that but if you're going to look at the school system which is the main system that most of our youth are going through at least here where we live in the greater Phoenix area they had pretty much all but cut out any social emotional aspect of curriculum and there's like no no counselors or anybody being able to support students in that manner and like you just said Joanne like it's not the teachers can only do so much in the time that they have yeah. and and we're being pushed that it's so important i again as as a parent of a teen i have a sophomore going to be a junior and i am listening to everything you guys are saying he's a really great student he has like all aids but at the same time in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not doing the XYZ extracurriculars. He's not volunteering his time. How's he going to ever get into any college? There's only three state colleges in Arizona. Our options are very limited because we can't afford private. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like Mm -hmm. that anxiety just like blowing up. And then again, like you just said, like there there's, (laughs) where are they going to get emotional wellness from if I'm freaking out at home? (laughs) <laughs> sorry that is a well, tangent Bree, Bree just I think it's what a lot of people episode. are thinking no I think it's what a lot of people are thinking Bree and I'm yeah. so happy that you brought that up because this is it this is it yeah mm-hmm. it is and also I think that and one something that I am also very aware of or conscious of not implying in the book is that there is something wrong with that or that we are being anxious is an integral part of being alive and it is natural to be anxious and it is also an integral part of parenting that part of anxiety's purpose is to protect us and to prepare us for the future and if you think of the jobs of a parent it is to protect them and prepare them for the future. So you can see how this is prime breeding ground for anxiety. And, and a lot of times though, we misinterpret love or we can conflate love and anxiety. If we're worrying about somebody, sometimes we think that that means that we love them. As a matter of fact, I, the other night, my son had been out at a party and he's a teenager, he's 17. And I fell asleep, as did my husband. And then in the morning, my husband had sort of like kept an ear open and had greeted him at some point when he came home. And in the morning, I said to my husband, like, oh, did he come home? And he said, yes. And I said, what kind of mother falls asleep when her teenager is out and allows herself to sleep through the night? And he said, yeah, you must not love him. Like, oh my god. Kidding, of course. I was totally kidding. But the idea yeah. that I wouldn't be up worrying to me then indicated like, wait, does that mean that I don't love him if you're not worrying about somebody? Which I think is just kind of an interesting I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings. And oh my gosh, has it been busy lately. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day. And it makes me feel energized. Even like I still add the coffee on there because I like it a lot. AG1 tastes really good too. And I enjoy my glass 
every single morning. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. That's interesting because using that same framework, it's like we're never allowed to relax either. And that really gets in the way of our relaxation if we're equating this worry with caring about someone. I remember when Mm -hmm. I I was in therapy years ago and I was discussing my worries with my therapist and she's like, well, why do you worry? And I'm like, well, you know, if if I worry, then I'm prepared for everything that happens and it won't happen. And she's like, so what good am I here? What good am I? If your worrying is preventing things from happening, then what's the benefit to you to stop worrying? And I'm like, oh, good point. Like, (laughs) obviously I can't control things from happening, but if I have that thought process, then I'm always going to hang on to it. Yes, exactly. And it's sort of like a magical thinking thing. I mean, I think that sometimes my grandmother used to say, you'll see when you're a mother, you're going to worry in a different way. You never stop worrying. Mm -hmm. Even when your kids are grown up and married and then you have grandchildren, you worry about them. And I think that that was her love language, but she used to worry. And many people do, you know, like if we were going on a flight or something as if her worrying was then preventing the plane from crashing or even keeping Mm -hmm. it in the air. I thought like, wow, you're really powerful. Yeah, I identify I, with that comment. Yes. Well, <laughs> and I want to be on planes. Yeah, like I'm the same. I, I that is what I always say to my husband because he's he's very chill and and laid back and I always tell him you're the you're the reason and I'm the worry. Like I if I already know the 16 different things that can go wrong and I'm already coming up with a plan and you're the one who gets to be chill about it. And he's like, and how's that working for you? How are you feeling worrying, you know, thinking about those 16 things that could go wrong? And I'm like, I hate it. My stomach hurts all the time and I get migraines. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's the thing, the opposite end, because I was raised by a worrier. And from the child standpoint, it is very overwhelming to feel like you have to manage your parents' emotions as well as your own. And just wondering if what I was going to do was going to worry my mom or upset my mom or make her feel any distress whatsoever. So looking at it from that vantage point, I know that my anxiety isn't something that I want to pass down to my kids. I know it's also unavoidable to pass it down to my kids. And so we're also taking some other steps to prep them in terms of therapy and talking about things and emotions and everything. But it's good to get that parental anxiety under control because Brie, like you said, your stomach hurts. Yeah. You're getting migraines. You can't it let sucks. it. Yeah. You can't let it rule your life because like you said, if I'm anxious all the time about everything possibly going wrong and I'm either articulating that to my kids or showing it to them all the time, then they're going to, like you just said, I'm going to pass on that anxiety. And who wants to try out new things in, in, in life when they're constantly afraid of everything going wrong? Like all I'm going to do is squash my kids' sense of, of security and their ability to try things if I, if I keep projecting that out. I work really hard at stepping it down. <laughs> well, well, yeah. well, and also it sounds like you work really hard at being aware of it, which I think right. is so much of the work is kind of like if it's one thing to be acting or reacting to our anxiety unknowingly, and it's another thing to know when it's operating, because then at least we have a little bit more control or even ability to direct it or manage it or even to include our rational brain or our reason within it. So that we may even say in these moments, like, look, I'm feeling really anxious. I... I am trying to keep myself, you know, whatever I'm trying to contain it or, and I think that the other thing, just to be clear for all of us, and I say to my patients a lot and to myself, is that like that, what you are doing, Brie, is all in an attempt to to protect yourself. It's sort of like, if I can prepare, I will be protected and I will be so that there is, there is an innate mechanism within us that is conditioned to signal us if there's any potential threat in our environment, which there are always social, emotional, or physical threats. And and the more that we can be aware of it and almost appreciate the fact that our brain or our body is trying to protect us and then determine if in fact it is protecting, is it, as your husband says, is it, is, how's that working for you? But like, is this helpful? (laughs) Like, do I need this protection in this moment or do I not? Like what would happen if I were to allow things to unfold organically? What would be the worst thing that could happen? Or what will, what is it that I'm actually afraid of? And Mm -hmm. am I actually preventing that from happening? Like we cannot prevent our kids' pain as much as we would like to and as hard as it is for us to contain. Yeah, Um, yeah, true. I just want to say one other thing too, and then I'll shut up, is that (laughs) this idea, Joanne, (laughs) because it was like hooking into both of these, these good points that you were bringing up, the idea of a parent being very anxious and not necessarily knowing or you know, passing it down or unable to manage it themselves is very scary for kids. It also Mm -hmm. conveys to kids like the, since all of us experience anxiety, we have to, it's also conveying to kids like 
this is a bad thing. You do not mm-hmm. want this. You do not, if, you know, watching your mom suffer was also a way to say like, this is not something you want to, this is unmanageable, distressing. I don't want to live with it. And so I also have to like push these feelings away, which they mm-hmm. are inevitable. Like yeah. it's going to come up. It should come up. It's all part of our operation system. Yeah. It's the so, appropriate emotion at the appropriate time is the beautiful thing. The you. good thing. Yes. The good thing. Yes. Something I want to dial in with if you is that you mentioned that being aware of your anxiety is really the most important thing and how it plays out. And what I love in your book is that you give these archetypes of how anxiety plays out. And some of them are like, whoa, like didn't even think that's an anxiety thing. So I wanted to go through them with you and have you just briefly describe these archetypes so that people who are listening may be able to find themselves in them. And the first one you have is the sculptor. What does the sculptor usually do? The sculptor is a parent who, and these are, these are specifically around achievement anxiety, but certainly Mm -hmm. they are also parenting anxieties, you know, in general as well. But a sculptor parent is oftentimes concerned that they need, that their child does not have something or needs to be something. And so it's incumbent upon the parent to sculpt or create kind of a life for that child. And that parent is oftentimes the one who is very resourceful in being able to find every possible class and hobby and enrichment opportunity to sort of create or sculpt something either from nothing or even from what, from what material they are given. It's so interesting because like these people who are sculptors are usually the really high achievers who are used to being able to create that change just by their own actions. And when it's their kids, it's like you don't have as much control over your kids as you do over your own circumstances. Yeah. And so you could see how sort of for sculptors that they are triggered oftentimes by feelings of powerlessness or helplessness. And so then their their anxiety reaction kind of kicks in. They usually kick it into high gear then and their kind of high capable, capably way will, will try to solve the problem or try to take care of things or direct it in a certain way. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. What about the game show contestant? What does that parent usually show up as? The game show contestant is that parent who thinks that there must be a right or wrong way. And it's just a matter of their finding or making the right or wrong decision. And so this is a trap that many of us fall into, especially when we're anxious. Like, is this the right school? or I don't know what the right answer is, or Mm -hmm. am I dealing with this the wrong way? As if there are two options and as if human beings are as binary as this would imply. And I think that that is a natural place to go when you are anxious. It's sort of like we want to distill things down to either a right or a wrong, a good or a bad, a good school, a bad school. I hear it a lot like, is this the best school for my child? Is this the best? And when best is comes into play, it's like, oh, there's no best one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's <Free> like, <laughs> what about the crowd pleaser? The crowd pleaser is that person who kind of manages their anxiety by taking kind of close assessment of the people around them. They're usually people who are pretty, they're socially aware and they're conscious of what their peers are doing. And so oftentimes like the crowd pleaser will be triggered by when they hear that their friend's daughter is signed up for the so-and-so class yep. and they think, oh, wait, we didn't do that. Or what is what does it mean if I don't do what everyone else is doing? They're kind of, they're more influenced by the the social group or the peers. So they kind of, so what I'm hearing is that they basically will, assess how well they're doing based on what everybody else is doing. Absolutely. And these are also, these are completely, there are many ways in which this is adaptive and healthy and normal. It's just sort of the way that your anxiety, like the predominant way that your anxiety might manifest. And the real, the, what is behind all of it is really just to be aware, as you were saying, Joanne, that this is anxiety that's operating. We think we are doing something for some rational reason, which we might be doing. And also there is an anxiety Mm -hmm. piece. Yeah. And there's an anxiety piece. Yeah. What about the avoider? The avoider is that parent who looks kind of laissez-faire. It sounds like Brie, maybe your husband might fall into this category. (laughs) My husband is totally that. Yes. (laughs) I'll call him out. And and it's, it's that person who sort of let trust the process in a way or trust the the systems around them and in some way sort of avoids 
participating in the hyper competition and just allows things to unfold organically. And while that can sometimes be helpful, it is also sometimes just a way to avoid the competition or to avoid the anxiety that will arise by virtue of addressing some of these conflicts for themselves. So that's the avoider. I'm going to play the fifth on that one as well, actually. I'm going to play the fifth on that one just to keep my marriage going well. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing that, I'm going to be avoider whenever there's, yeah. May or may not, may or may not, yeah, definitely. May or may not. Hearing the avoider though, like I'm definitely that. Anytime a competition comes up, I'm like, mm, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> not yeah. worth it. Not worth yeah, this it. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting to hear. What about the clairvoyant? The clairvoyant is that parent who sort of sees a gift or a skill or an ability in their child and wants to really cultivate or foster it. If their child is singing in the bathroom and they hear them and the parent decides, oh, oh, you know, she has good pitch or good, I don't know anything about singing, but but good tone. Pitch pitch works. There you go. (laughs) Oh, okay. Thanks. And if you heard me sing, it would completely explain (laughs) how little I know. But they, and so they see something in their in their kid and they are determined to sort of cultivate it. Ah, yes. You know, she, she seems to be quite a character. Maybe I should sign her up for acting lessons, you know? And that's good to some extent. Like if a kid is lost a little bit, like doesn't really know what to try. I mean, that could be a good way to get them into trying things, but I could also see how that could go very, very wrong. And well, I also totally, all of these are good. It's funny. My dad actually read the book when it first came out and he said, as he went through each chapter and he's not somebody who typically like sort of reflects on his parenting or reflects so much psychologically, I don't think. And he said, okay, after he read the first chapter, he's like, okay, I'm one for one. And then he called back. He's like, okay, I'm two for two. And by the end he was like, all right, I'm eight for eight because all of us can see ourselves in this. And it's not, it's actually very adaptive and healthy. It's when we're not able to calibrate it or we're doing it so unknowingly or without our awareness of our own anxiety that that's when sort of things can go off the rails. Like when it's starting mm-hmm. to cause a problem, when it's it's making it so that we are stressed out about it or it's making things difficult with our, our kids are being or seeing the negative side of it. But the clairvoyant, I could imagine like constantly having to go to classes. And if somebody were to say like, my personality is a dancer. My personality is a gymnast. And then they don't realize, they they can't see anything outside of that. Right? Or am I off on this? Yeah. Well, and it's also, I think it's most problematic too, when we become so sort of invested in it that we lose sight of our kids or we lose sight of what their needs are, or we can't be responsive to them because we're so busy reacting to our internal anxiety about it that then we're unable to sort of hear our kids thoroughly. This happens a lot. I mean, I hear all the time and certainly know the experience myself of should we allow our kid to quit the oboe or, you know, or quit this class that they have, they've been very invested in. If this is their thing or this is something that we want or they have demonstrated is an integral part of of their identity, Mm -hmm. We don't want them to just forego it or, and if they've demonstrated great skill in it, it's sort of like this could flourish into something. You know, I know 
one of my kids is, is happens to be very musical and has no interest in taking any kind of formal lessons. And I keep saying, you don't want to just join the jazz club or, you know, or, or take a lesson or something. And he's like, no, I, I, no, no yeah. I just like to do it for fun. Like God mm. forbid someone do something I, just for the sheer pleasure of it without instruction and guidance and like, you know, perfect. Yeah. He loves to do it. Like, the end. And so that's an achievement and, and thing I for sure. Like I'm a bad parent. That's no, that's an, an achievement thing for sure in society. Like how dare someone do something for fun? They need to be using oh. every single moment of every day to make sure they get like the life the they want down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. You get the best. And you it. have this gift. Don't squander it. It's so hard to have a gift in the world. Like if you're a good dancer, why wouldn't you want to then, you know, do something Use your body in that way. I mean, we see it in all of the sports or the the kids' athletics. It's kind of gone whole hog, I think, in that. Oh, Dana, the stories I have for you (laughs) 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 about my daughter that I cannot share yet because she's still on the team. But yes. But I mean, these, these do show up and the way our schools are run, it shows up in that. And achievement is a really tricky thing to really (laughs) tell people that, hey, Achievement's not the end all be all goal here. We need to pull back because I think when you tell, especially schools that or other parents that who are used to being very achievement focused, the immediate response is, Oh, don't you care about your kid? Don't you want the best for your kid? And yeah. so mm-hmm. it prevents me from pushing back against people on it. I'll say whatever I want on this show because this is our podcast. But <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing. So and you have well, three and, more archetypes in your book oh, and I'm going to let people okay. go and get your book for that one because the shepherds, the corrector and the replicator. I think that a lot of the re- the archetypes we talked about so far that if you see yourself in those, you should go and get Dana's mm-hmm. book and read the other mm-hmm. ones. So, so my question is if you yeah. see yourself as one of those archetypes, how do you break out of that? If you, if, okay, so you've gotten to the point where you're self-aware. You're like, okay, I got a bit of an anxiety issue and it might be running the way I'm parenting. And I know at least one to five of those archetypes sounds like me. How, what's the next step for, for us to go to as parents to move in a positive direction? So the first thing I think is to be aware of it. And I think in a way, it doesn't necessarily have to be pathological anxiety or excessive anxiety. It just has to be an awareness of why we are doing what we're doing and what kind of emotions are fueling it. And the other thing is, and I think that as as I did outline in the book, a lot of times too, there are these common thematic patterns of thinking or what we call cognitive distortions. When you're anxious, it is likely that you're, that you are thinking in a narrowed way and falling into one of these styles of thinking, which is also an indication to us like, ah, yes, I'm anxious. And then to pause and take a step back, which I think is so hard. I think about that a lot, like sort of when we're on the treadmill to actually say like the treadmill of life to just say like, okay, wait, I'm going to stop and take a break. It's like, no, I don't want to lose my momentum or I don't want to become like to be stagnant or, you know, inertia to set in. But if we can trust 
just by taking a pause and reflecting in a moment in a non-critical way, even reminding ourselves, like we are doing this in an effort to protect ourselves and to protect our kids. And that is this necessarily warranted? Like, is it whatever it is that I'm doing? Is this warranted? The other thing is, if there is a way to identify what your values are, a lot of times when you're in the throes of having to make some kind of really difficult parenting decision, if you have isolated or identified sort of what your two or three or four key fundamental values for living your life, what is most important to you, not what you think you should be doing, but really what it is that you feel makes you feel that life is purposeful, Mm -hmm. then you can always integrate that into your decision so that that can, your values can override your anxiety that we can say, you know, what's most important to me is that my kid knows themselves. So Mm -hmm. if, if he is saying to me, I don't want to take the SATs because I know that it's going to actually require six additional hours of work and I'm already on the school soccer team and doing all of these other things. And I actually, and I also want to be able to sleep and see my friends. Like Uh if, if knowing themselves is what our value is, then that would be sort of what, how that would drive our decision more than our anxiety, particularly once again, if you're unaware of it. So I know I'm not a broken record, but So being aware of what your values are, identifying them and integrating them into your decision, Mm -hmm. identifying sort of what it is that triggers you and your anxiety, and then figuring out the ways that you can challenge some of the thoughts that you have when you are anxious. I love it. I love the work you do, Dana. And especially addressing these issues with parental anxiety in terms of achievement. I think it's something that needs to get out to all parents. What in your life are you really excited about that's coming up for you? I'm actually, I just got off the phone with my daughter. My daughter is actually graduating from college in a couple of weeks. And so that is super, it's very exciting for me. It's kind of exciting for her. I think a little anxiety producing, obviously, for her. But it's a, you know, it's a really, my parents are coming. It's going to be just, it's such a, you know, my oldest first child. And not because it, not only because it's an achievement, but I feel like she used this, time to really learn, grow, expand herself. She invested in, she explored a bunch of things. She really like, so it's not just the acquisition of the diploma Mm -hmm. as much as like she, she enriched herself and grew and learned and flourished kind of in this, in this four year period, despite the pandemic or. Yeah. She's truly graduating into a new section of her life. That's really what we want for our kids. Definitely. Well, thank you, Dana, so much for coming on and sharing this with us and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you guys do as well. (laughs) I really loved talking to Dana because I have a lot of parental anxiety that I am not giving my kids everything that they need to have. And it's nice to hear that I'm not crazy. It's not just me. This is a thing. This is a thing. <laughs> this did is a you, thing. <laughs> out of her like archetypes, did you 
find one that you identified with? Like just like the characteristics of one or just like something that you saw that you do in there? So yeah, I would say that as weird as this sounds, kind of a game show host one. Really? Oh, the black and white thinking. Well, yes and no. I'm well aware that there's not one right answer for everybody, right? Like we talk about that all the time here in No Get Mom. Every family is different. Every situation is different, blah, 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 blah. But my anxiety pulls into that there is a right answer and a wrong answer. And my anxiety is constantly that I am making the wrong answer choice. And and always second guessing what decisions I make as a parent for my kids. And a lot of it rolls back into, and you've heard me talk about this all the time, of the whole, like, I'm a bad mom because X, Y, Z. So, yeah. So I guess that would be like a game show host. Because I always think that there's a right and a wrong answer somehow. And I'm somehow always picking the wrong answer. Or not always, but. I get into those, like, I'm a bad mom tirades a lot too. Like, (laughs) times where I'm like, oh, I'm so sucky at this. Or like, I'm such the horrible mother for this. And then I think about, wait a minute, are there like horrible fathers for the same thing? No, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) It, It stops me from going down there, but I'm also like, okay, something in my tank is depleted. And lately I've been, okay, I need some, some time to myself where I'm wrapped in my little blanket and not dealing with other humans because something else is really bothering me and getting me down. And I've gotten to that point in my awareness now that the bad mom thing doesn't go on for too long. Right. No, I I just, I was telling you like just last night, I went on a tyrant for an hour that I was a bad mom because I didn't cook my kids dinner. And the reason I didn't cook them dinner, by the way, I didn't tell you this part of the story, was because we had gone to brunch at my family's house. So like we didn't even like finish eating lunch until like almost three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would be real coming home being like, all right, well, I'm not sure about cooking dinner at five now because not everybody's going to be hungry. Some of us ate more at brunch than others and da, 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 da. But somehow in my head, because one of my kids came down and wanted something to eat and they, by the way, did not ask me to help at all. Didn't yeah. ask for anything to eat. They were just in the kitchen perusing and they they didn't find anything that they wanted to eat. They wouldn't let me make them anything to eat. And they just said, it, like, I love that t- that meme too for teens. Like they see a full kitchen and they're like, oh, we have nothing to eat. Like that's what my kids said. And I was Happens like, all oh the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm terrible. I didn't make them anything to eat. And my, my husband's like, yeah, you might be, yeah, might be fixating on something right now. <laughs> so well, that's so you- interesting that you like go to the thing that it's your fault that they don't have anything to eat. But I think it's normal. I think like, well, not normal, but I think it's typical of like so many other parents too. Like we go right to that. I am a horrible person. My kids don't like the food I have at home. Well, and that's where I'm like, right? There's a right and a wrong answer. And I picked Uh, the wrong answer because I didn't cook dinner. Oh yeah. Even though I knew that nobody was hungry at the same time in my household. It's hard. It's hard. And I think the only thing we could do is to try to be more aware of this thinking. Oh, that's what Dr. Dorfman said. The Mm -hmm. first thing we can do is have the awareness, right? That's the first step. So the first step. And if we know that what we're thinking is a typical behavior of humans, then it can't be easily pegged on ourselves. And we can use things to counter it or just cuddling on the couch with our blankets and our dogs watching Outer Banks on Netflix. (laughs) That's a perfect pause and step back if you ask me. Mm -hmm. But still, hopefully everybody got out of this episode that A, you are not alone in your parental anxiety. (laughs) 
in that fee. Mm -hmm. It's not going to totally damage your kids. There are things that you can do to help fix it. And some of the biggest thing is the self-awareness and taking a step back, wrapping yourself up in a blanket. (laughs) doing what brings you joy. (laughs) Exactly. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have the chance, please, please, please rate us and review us on iTunes. That is how we are shown to more and more people because we want to get so many more moms on the No Get Mom podcast and spread this message of you are not alone and you are worth spending that time on yourself and worth relaxing in particular. So the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you and we will see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.